to That Shit Show, a podcast about overcoming trauma. I'm Emma Castle. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Janelle is joining us from Orange in New South Wales. How's it going, Janelle? Yeah, pretty good. Thank you. Yeah, good. Well, thanks for coming along. And um, today we're going to talk about your mom. So can you tell me a little bit about what happened? It was about 18 months ago. Is that right? Yeah, a bit over 18 months ago. Well, it was almost two years ago now, I guess, coming up to. But um, October 2017, she was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. Um, So... In hindsight, there was lots of signs there early, earlier than that. Um, I'd get off the phone to her of a night time and have a joke with my husband that, um, you know, mum's been on the wine again tonight because she was slurring her words and, you know, that sort of thing. And we'd have a little bit of a joke about it and whatnot. And then she knew that there was something not quite right. Um, and she'd, over a period of uh, probably 12 months or more, she was having different tests for different things because you can't test for motor neurone disease. You've got to rule everything else out. So she'd been having a lot of tests and things. And then um, she had an appointment with the neurologist and the receptionist said to mum, bring someone with you. And wasn't I, I didn't really understand that. I thought it was a bit odd. And I, um, so my brother and I went with her when she, for that appointment, when she got her diagnosis, which was her death sentence. And then, yeah, it became clear to us that um, why we needed to be there with her. Yeah, so that was, yeah, October 26, 2017. Wow. Yeah. So how did she take it? How did, did she know something pretty bad was up? Yeah, yeah. She, she sat there momentarily and she looked at me um, and she said, I knew it. So she'd done her own doctor Googling and that sort of thing and she knew it. And then it was a couple, probably a couple of minutes really, and then she started to cry. Okay. And hearing that, what did you think? What were your first thoughts when you heard this? I don't even, I can't even really remember. I remember the processing of it and going like motor neurone disease. Okay, what's that? And then getting to that, that's terminal. Like all of that happened within probably five or six minutes. Like that whole, I was racing. Um, That all came really quickly and then it was like, shit, shit. Yeah. Yeah. And did the doctor sort of explain what it was or, you know, did he kind of take you through some steps of what will happen or how did that appointment kind of shape? I was actually really disappointed with the doctor. He was, he was, um, I think he was a locum. I'm not hundred percent sure. So he gave us a whole lot of information, um, in one go, um, which was really hard to take in. Um, he asked us whether we wanted to, you know, um, get in touch with the palliative care team, get in touch with um, the allied health service out at the hospital. And and this is all in the first meeting. And we just went, yes, I don't know, yes. Um, So he did set all that sort of stuff up. And then he said, at the end of it, he kind of went, I'll talk to you again if you want me to, but there's nothing more I can do. And it was like... All right. So we felt like we were on our own at first. And I think we did go back and see him once. My sister came down from Queensland and 
so we did go back and see him. We made an appointment to go back and he just basically gave her the same information as he gave us and that was the last time we went there. That was our last. Yeah, and that was like really early. Okay, so, so you go home and then what happens? Yeah. Like you sort of... Yeah. Um, is there a sort so, of a, did they give you a time frame? Do they sort of say, look, you've got 12 months? No, they actually said over like how long is a piece of string? It could be anywhere from six months to five years. Right, if, okay. Yeah. So obviously we prayed for more than six months but realistically knew that it wasn't going to be five years. Right. And is there a treatment? Like is there any kind of physio or there's just nothing you can do? No, no, there's nothing. There's there's one drug that you can go on and I can't for the life of me think what it's called right now um, that has shown to, sh- to slow the progression. Mm-hmm. Um, so she went on that straight away. Yeah. Um, but they say that it it gives it only gives an extra month or two of quality of life is the best case scenario that you could get from it. I just I wish I could think of it, but I can't think yeah. what it's called right now. But, but so the allied, like a thing where you can kind of attack it, you know, like sometimes yeah. with disease, like you can kind of go in there, guns yeah. blazing, but it sounds like the yeah. kind of thing where you have to just accept that this yeah. huge unknown. Yeah is just coming (laughs) absolutely yeah and so we we registered with um mnd new south wales early and they again lots of they were good um but lots and so much resources so much like reading and you know to educate yourself on it what to expect and all that sort of stuff there was there's a lady that sort of does this area and we had a meeting with her fairly early on um and she did keep in contact so she was she was good the palliative care team in orange are amazing right from the get-go right from the get-go and they they kind of were in the background when they needed to be in the background and then when as the disease progressed and mum got worse and we needed more they were there more they were amazing so is this a thing where you kind of transition from home things are a bit wobbly to home care where like you know there's assistance and then into palliative care is that sort of the transition palliative no so palliative were on were on board right from the beginning palliative doesn't necessarily mean end of life Mm -hmm. like they, they don't come in at end of life they helped us so much with resources and advice and friendship for us as much as mum. Um, yeah, they were amazing. I don't, they were amazing. Yeah. So, so um, like I'm not the one who's there. So did yeah. your brother and sister, did they both go back to like back home kind of thing? Yeah. And, and then you're yeah. sort of still in orange and you're doing the yeah. day-to-day yeah. kind of taking so care of business. From, from that day until she died, I saw mum every day bar the odd one here or there. Um, Even if she didn't need anything, like I just, I needed to go and see her. Um, Obviously when, as she got worse and visits weren't visits anymore, they were there for a purpose. Like I had to be there, I had to. So my, um, I think about 12 months before she died, my brother um, moved from Bathurst to Orange and moved in with mum, which was a great relief to me, um, but I still went every day. <laughs> and then it started to become a little bit more about visits sort of thing. But, you know, there's there's things that a son can't do for their mum. 
So that yeah, was me. Yeah. And so that kind of caring role, like almost like a nursing sort of role, yeah. is that sort of what you ended up doing a lot of? Like showering yeah, like, and things like that? Yeah. 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 yeah, that, yeah. I helped her with the showers. And um, so she got, she, she also got what's called a peg. Um, what they, and you know tummy because she could part of the disease is you lose your ability to um, swallow um, so she had she got a peg put into her tummy and that's how she would take her nutrients we were just in liquid form and we would have to um, feed her through the tube yeah um, and that was awful for everybody it was awful to have to do that she you know she couldn't taste anything she couldn't yeah, it was. Yeah, that wasn't very nice at all. And that was how long ago after? It was only I can't even remember timeline now. A matter of sort of months after the diagnosis. Yeah, quick. Everything was quick. Yeah. Okay. So, what was your mum like? Was was she the kind of person who was going to go quietly, or was she oh, the kind of person who was just like, "This is bullshit"? Yes. Yeah, she wasn't quite like that, but she wasn't. She did everything that she was told to do. So, with the we we um, got in contact with the Allied Health team in Orange, and we we did have meetings with them. And there was so there was a physio, there was a speech pathologist, there was I can't remember there was an OT, there was a dietitian, and everything that they asked her to do to help herself, she did to the letter. And I do think that because she was like that, we had her for longer. Um, they were good they were really good and they did home visits and stuff and the the OT she was part of the palliative care team as well so she was really good um to have around and she would come and she there was modifications made to the home and that sort of stuff but mum before the diagnosis my dad died like 20 something years ago so and mum stayed on her own after that um and she was a fiercely strong independent woman who didn't need a man for anything she had beautiful gardens she she just did everything um and then to see what the disease took from her was yeah we lost her a long time before she died Right. Okay. So what was that feeling of things flipping where, you know, like your mom's probably been a caretaker for her children and grandchildren, but then the roles change and you become a caretaker for your mom. And so what does that feel like when, when those tables turn and you see your parents as vulnerable and probably afraid, like, how did that feel? I couldn't stand seeing a cry. I couldn't. I couldn't do that very well. Um, I could be strong around her until she wasn't, and then we'd just cry together. <laughs> um, becoming her carer, that to me, I felt there was kind of um, a feeling of privilege to it as well, because like she had done so much for me, obviously through my life. Um, and still wanted to and was still, you know, still that same mum that I could have a whinge about the kids to and, you know, she was always on my side, you know. <laughs> um, so I did feel kind of privileged that I could do that for her 
and be there for her. And I wouldn't have wanted it any other way. But there was there was a lot of resentment towards my siblings at different times that um, they weren't as invested. Right. So, yeah. so how does that shake down? So, you know, as this progresses, you know, everyone's feeling their way through it. And so with your siblings, like did you ever talk to them about how you were feeling or did you just sort of march on? Because, no. like, you've got kids, you've got things to yeah. do. Like yeah. were you still I working thought- at that point? Yeah. Yeah, so you're still trying to do all your normal daily things and you're probably thinking, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't have time to have this really heavy conversation with my siblings about no. how upset I am. Like, no. So did it ever get talked about? Um, I think sort of later on down the track after my brother from Bathurst came, um, I did, I talked to him about, without it being too heavy, heavy, I just went, I just told him at different times that I felt resentment towards all of them for not stepping up, for not realising, for not going, you know, we've only got mum for a short amount of time, like make the most of it. Like I was really, I got really pissed off that I'm like, I don't get that. I don't get that. She's not going to be here for too much longer. How can you not be around? How can you not talk to her on the phone while she's still able to talk on the phone? Because she's not going to be able to for that much longer. You know, like there was all that. And that was, and I just felt like because they weren't stepping up, then I had to. There was I had no other option. There was no way that I was going to leave her to go days without speaking to anybody. Or, you know, I was just yeah. I got pissed off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think were you just pissed off generally as well? Were you just sort of pissed off at the situation, like just the fact that your mum was dying, or was it more no, d- definitely? It was. It was definitely directed at my siblings. <laughs> Uh, that'll do it <laughs> yeah it's a shitty situation so mum and I had a conversation even um I remember sitting in her lounge room and saying like have you heard from any of them when was the last time you spoke to them and all this sort of stuff and then she hadn't heard from them for a little bit and um then we sort of got on to talking about funeral and all that sort of stuff and I said well you know that I'm going to be doing your eulogy and not one of those bastards getting near it <laughs> <laughs> and I did her eulogy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was cranky. She laughed when I said that. She laughed, but she knew I was serious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, how was she feeling about it? Was she sort of similarly like those bastards? <laughs> I phrase those bastards. Uh, was she? No. I don't mum never felt like that again towards any of us, even when she was disappointed in things that, you know, in our in our actions at different times. She never felt like that, ever. Ever. But that was my relationship with mum. Like I could I could say what I wanted. And she would smile and laugh and, you know, maybe agree sometimes, but yeah. 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 Uh-huh. So how did that conversation go? So you're talking about your mum's funeral and like was she did she have really specific ideas about what she wanted or was she happy for you to just or did she not want to talk about it? Like how what was it like? Um, so mum probably wanted to talk about it more often than I did. Um, she did have some really specific ideas early on and then that kind of changed a little bit as time went along but she had a bible in um in the house and I knew where the bible was and it was and she was um putting things in the bible 
um, from other funerals, like passages and things like that, so that when the time came, if we hadn't had the full conversation, then I knew, you know, basically what she wanted. But in the end, so mum went into a nursing home 23 days before she died. We managed to keep her at home almost to the end. So she died on a Wednesday night and the Sunday before um, she pointed to the Bible and at that stage mum was nonverbal, um, but she still did have the use of her hands. Um, so we communicated on an iPad that talked for her, like she would type it in and stuff like that. Um, so the Sunday before she died, we put her funeral together on the bed in the nursing home. Uh, hey, yeah. so yeah. that gave her a sense of peace knowing that it was done and, you know, that... I think, because, yeah, I think... She knew it was, she knew, in hindsight, she knew it was really, really close because um, it was after that day she was, she didn't communicate after that day. The Monday she was kind of, I wouldn't even say aware. My sister was in the UK at the time and um, we did a FaceTime with her mm. and she knew it was, she knew it was my sister and when my sister said she was coming home. She would see her soon because she was cutting short to come home. Um, Mum gave her a thumbs up and Sue said, you know, I love you. And we know that she said I love you back in her with, in her nonverbal. Um, and the next day she slept all day. The next day after that she slept all day and then she died. So that was pretty much the last. So she knew. So she knew. And I'm glad that we did that on the bed as hard as it was. It was really, really hard, but I'm glad that we did it because I think her funeral was exactly how she wanted it to be. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing your sister got home in time for the funeral and... I had to tell her that mum had passed when she landed in Singapore on her way home. She was in the airport by herself. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, it was awful. It was really awful for her. It was, yeah. Man, so we quite make it like the grieving process. So, like this has been going on for a while, and your mum is kind yeah. of slipping away gradually. So, do yeah. you feel as though the grieving process started way before she died, or was her death still a huge shock? Not hundred percent. So, the diagnosis, I grieved for harder and for longer after she was diagnosed than I did after she died. Ah, okay. The, the diagnosis was was intense grief. Right. So yeah. your grief began on yeah. that day and lasted probably for a very long time. So you're yeah. in grief, trying to still manage this thing, manage yeah. your job, your kids, your life. Um, yeah. But before someone dies, I feel like people don't let you grieve. Like it's not, people don't acknowledge that you're in grief. Like it's when yeah. someone dies, everyone's like, right, okay, grieving. Yeah. But yeah. You yeah. Have support to kind of help you through the grief that started way before your mum passed. Yeah. So again, palliative um, were great. We're absolute Linda, I'll name her. Linda Harvey, she was amazing and she was a friend all the way through it. She was, she got it. She just got it and, you know, there was tears <laughs> every time. But she allowed that. It was really, she was so good, so good. And I have a couple of really good mates at work who um, 
I debriefed with them daily. I felt sorry for them actually, but they let me do it. Everything that went on, pretty much every step of the way, I offloaded onto them. So I was lucky. I had a couple of really good mates that I could do that with. Yeah. yeah and it definitely helped. Yeah. Yeah. And so afterwards, were there any support groups or like Facebook groups or was there anything like that that you sort of like books or meditations or counselling? Did you sort of seek out any of those things or was it more Um, that you already had great support in place? Do you mean after the diagnosis or after she after she uh, died? I guess throughout the whole thing. Like, did, did you sort of reach out for any of those things no. at any point? No. Just uh, we kind of we kind of followed mum's lead, and there was groups. And the um, of the time I had to be strong. Like I had to just get on with it. Like you say, like I'm a mum, and kids are so busy. Um, with all their after-school stuff and their school stuff, and I just had to get on with it. I couldn't, I couldn't go down in a heap. So when I needed, when I was vulnerable, I had people I could dump onto. Otherwise, I just got on and just, and I had my quiet moments. And so, yeah. in those quiet moments, what would you do? Cry. Was it in just the car cry. or just in the shower or? Yep, all of the above. Yep, just, but nobody knew. Nobody saw it. Right. I just, yeah. And it was it was therapeutic in itself. It's like a release. Take a breath and off you go again. Yeah. Because yeah. you have to. You have to, to a degree. Yeah. Yeah. So now how do you feel about it now? Like your mum's past? Do you still talk yeah. to her? Do you still pray? Do you, like, are there yeah. ways that you still connect with her? Um, I, every single day I think about her. She's still the last thing I think about when I go to sleep. I was out walking the other day and it was Easter and mum was a um, practicing Christian. Um, so Easter was a big deal for her. And, um, as I was walking, there was a couple of birds up in the tree and there was two. And I said out loud, I went, Oh, Hey, my dad. Hey, mama. Hey, dada. Sort of, as I was walking, I slipped back into my 12 year old me when I talked to mum and dad, cause that's how I feel. I don't feel like I'm an adult who's lost her mother. I feel like I'm 12. So, yeah, and I have the 12-year-old emotion. And do you feel yeah. as though they're with you? Do you feel as different though? Different times. Yeah. At different times. Um, I got given a really a card and I can't remember the verse on it, but I remember one part of it and it said um, that she is the breeze on your face and when I get the breeze on my face is there's mum. Yeah. And it's special to me. Yeah. It's special. But, um, yeah, so, I don't know. It's since she, since she died, obviously I went through the grieving part of it, but I I was a mess when she died because I, I was with her when she actually died, which was in one, in one respect it was um, a privilege to be able to be there for her. She, her biggest fear was because she'd lived on her own for 20-something years, her biggest fear was dying alone and I was there. So I gave that, I was able to give that to her, um, that she wasn't on her own when she died. Um, but 
I tell people that it was lovely and it was a privilege and it was, it wasn't that nice, (laughs) really. No, it wasn't that nice. It wasn't that peaceful feeling. Um, And my brother had just left to go with his family to go and have dinner. So it was like half an hour after he left and I had I rang him and said that she's gone and his his meal hadn't even been put on the table yet, um, and I was highly anxious. So I was yeah I was it was pretty bad. Right. Because yeah. sometimes it's you hear it portrayed as this peaceful thing and you feel yeah. some sort of change in the room and things like that. I've heard lots of different things, but yeah. The reality, Look, yeah, it wasn't like traumatic, traumatic, traumatic. Like it wasn't like that. But to watch someone that you've loved your whole life take their last breath was tough. Yeah. And, and I, I play that over in my head almost every day. Right. Do you still think about it? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I suppose... With that in mind, do you visit her grave or do you, you know, are there things that you do like that um, to kind of physically touch her? Like is her house still there or do you have her things with you? Or I've got things with me. Um, Yeah, my brother's still living in mum's house until we sell it. Um, I don't sort of... I don't really go over there that much, obviously through the silly pandemic. I don't, I can't go over there anyway, but it it was tough to go back to after um, for a good while and still is a bit. There's still, you know, her scarves and stuff are still in her bedroom and there's still mum smell in the house and, you know, so that can be comforting sometimes, but mostly it just, yeah, makes me sad. Mum did cross stitches and tapestries and things like that. So I can look around our house and I can see mum because we've got some of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I, going up to the crematorium, I don't very often. Um, she's up there, her plaque is up there next to my dad's, but I've never, sometimes I feel a pull to go up there, but they're not up there. They're here. They're, you know, they're with me. So I don't really need to go up there so much yeah sometimes but not so much so like is there was there anything that just like you said palliative care was just amazing like is there anything else that you found really really helpful or is there any advice you'd give someone who has just received an MND diagnosis or their parents have received that diagnosis is there anything that you'd like to share that you wish someone had said to you or, you know, a resource that someone had given you or is there anything that you found really, really helpful? Yeah, so I guess kind of in hindsight we were given, again, so much information so early on and it's hard to know what to sift through. I think um, the home care staff, we kind of held off doing any of that but I would say to people don't hold off get it in place because when we needed it um, was when we started, you know, applying for um, the home care stuff through the MyGov and it takes a long time. It takes a long time. So we um, had finally gotten mum 
the highest level that we could possibly get for her for home care um, after she died. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it came yeah, through. It and that was, ages. It takes so long. So start the process early and keep getting assessed. Like don't sort of wait, you know, and play it, play it up. Like don't don't make out that you're this strong person who can do it all. Um, make it even sound worse than it is if you need to because otherwise you're not going to get them when you need – the services aren't going to be there when you need them. Yeah. yeah. Is what I would say. Yeah. Um, we did most of the stuff that mum needed ourselves because the support, it came late for her it came late and we appreciated it when we got it but then it got it got really disjointed as well so we had community nurses coming to do feeds for her because the the care people weren't allowed to do that in the job description they're not allowed to do that so there was people coming and going out of mum's house all day long which she didn't like um because she's a bit private person as well but so we still did as much as we could for her but there was a time when realized that our time was coming, the end was coming sooner. We just wanted to spend time with her, not spend time with her having to do, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I sort of know seeing stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just to, you know, I had days where I just laid on the bed with her and she'd yeah. be watching telly and we'd just not talk, not communicate, and just lay on the bed and just, just be with each other. It was yeah. nice. It yeah. was nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With MND, is it is it a thing that can run in your family or is it like are you concerned yeah. about that? No. So there's two, there's different sorts. There is a, there is a genetic link um, in some cases, but mums were sporadic. So okay. there is no, it's not a genetic link. Like the chances of me getting it are as slim as her getting it. Right, okay. Possible. Yeah, and they don't know why, and that's that's I think the one of the hardest things with this disease is they still don't know why people get it, um, and there's no treatment once you've got it, you're screwed mm. essentially. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's you know mum mum's was um, they say it was in the upper bulbar, so it affected her speech, her swallow, her breathing more so than the extremities. So, and um, the there's the other one. I mean, there was a, a man in the nursing home that mum was at, and he was already in a wheelchair and couldn't walk, couldn't use his hands or anything, but he could eat and he could talk. And then there's others that, you know, the whole lot goes. So I'm grateful that mum still um, you could use her hands to a degree and on the iPad because we could communicate that way. Yeah. But, you know, there's there's others out there that don't even have that. Yeah. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. 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 It's horrendous. It's a horrendous disease. It's just... I don't even know. I mean, I've never had been around anyone that close to me that's had a cancer diagnosis, but I would imagine it's not unless it's a terminal diagnosis in the at the outset, then you've got a bit of hope that we can try chemo, we can try radiation, we can, you know, try different things. Um, but motor neurone disease is a terminal diagnosis at diagnosis. There's no hope. There's no hope that you're ever going to get over it, ever, because you won't. You'll just progressively get worse.
do you think your mum came to terms with that? Like, did she find peace with that diagnosis or did, do you think she was just always like, Oh, you know, some people will accept it. They'll be kind of like, okay, it's happening. And other people will be in denial until the 11th hour kind of thing. She was so angry that she got that. She said sometimes, she said, I wish it was cancer because then at least I'd have some hope of maybe being able to fight it. And that's that's tough to hear because we know that cancer is really bad. And I just think, did she ever accept it? I think, or she didn't accept the disease so much as she accepted the inevitable of what the disease was going to do. She did, she said to me, oh, I can't even remember, might have four or five weeks maybe before she died, she actually, she asked me if I would forgive her if she gave up. And my response, of course, was you don't even have to ask that because there'd be nothing to forgive. Yeah. Yeah. Did she give you any advice before she died? Is there anything she really wanted you to know before, you know, she had to go? No. No, because Mum and I, we were... We were close. Like there was nothing earth-shattering, pivoting, you know, that she was worried about me more so than the others, but she needn't have been because I felt like I knew that I was going to be okay and I actually am okay. Um, I miss her terribly, but I think she was worried that I would go into a huge slump, that I would not, you know, uh having had a history with depression myself, that she was worried about that for me. But I 100% knew that I was going to be okay in terms of that. And I am 100% okay. And I think that's because I did the majority of the grieving at diagnosis, like those those months after her diagnosis. That So when she died, whilst I was incredibly sad and miss her, it was also, it was that, it, there was a sense of relief as well that came with her passing and yeah. I almost feel guilty saying that <laughs> oh no but there was. I think but it's there was. pretty normal you know because yeah. any suffering like is over and that's yeah suffering is yeah. a good thing so yeah. I suppose do you have like any memories that are just your favorite memories of hanging out with your mom it sounds like you have like lots of memories because you used to see yeah I've got I've got a lot I've got lots. I can tell some stories, but I won't because it's, yeah, she's, um, she'd turn over in a grave by the time I said um, She was good fun. She was good fun. I don't know, really. So I can, last night, <laughs> this is so silly because I felt closer to her over this Easter weekend, but I guess because it's the Christian weekend. And when I was growing up, my favourite dessert for mum to make was um, caramel dumplings. And I've never made them in my life. And I'm like, ah. Oh, she used to hate making them, but I was like, Mom, can we have caramel dumplings? No, no, no. And, you know, maybe the tenth time I'd ask, she'd say yes, and we'd have caramel dumplings. So I made caramel dumplings last night for the first time, and it was diabetes in a bowl, and it was the best. God, it was good. And I just, the, the from start, first mouthful to the end of it, it was just mum. I just, it was awesome. <laughs> So that's a bit, that's a bit of a, a, bit of a story there. Uh-huh. Beautiful thing, I think. Oh, like just, yeah, she hated making them. I don't know why. They're really easy, apparently. So I'll do. <laughs> Maybe but do you feel of- like you're like her? Do you, like, are there things that you say and do and you're like, oh, wow, I'm, yeah. I'm my mum? Yeah. So mum was, she was fun um, but conservative in public. 
like if she was watching sport on TV or whatever, like she was the one, it was fun to watch sport with her because she'd be up and yelling and screaming at the telly and all that sort of stuff. But her church friends would not know that of her, 100% wouldn't know that. She could swear and that sort of thing. Um, so in, in some respects, like I've got a little bit of a conservative side to me as well, unless I'm comfortable. And when I'm comfortable, I'm that person. <laughs> that other one. I think I get my I can do anything kind of from mum because she always did. Um, I was only 27 when my dad died, so I just watched mum do everything. She was amazing. She could do anything. She had. She lived on um, like the family home when dad died was half an acre block and she push mowed that whole half acre block until like she sold it like eight years ago and moved into, a, you know, like she just, she dug gardens and she was outside. She was amazing. She could do anything. She yeah. could do anything and did do anything. Even after a diagnosis, I've got a photo of her and she was wobbly on her feet, but she was mowing the lawn. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? So I took photos and video and, and said, sent them to my brothers and sisters and they're like, yeah, good on you. And I'm like, no, too much energy. She's going to sleep now for six hours. But anyway, it's what made her happy. So she mowed the lawn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So your mum was a spunk. Yeah, yeah, she was. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. a spunk too. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> you must be. If you like your mum. So, um, oh, man, what a ride. I suppose yeah. like, did you feel like you needed like a holiday or like, you know, yeah. like how do you have the energy to kind of get back to life? Like normal, like whatever normal life is. Like did, did you yeah. take time out after all this happened? Cause that's a lot of energy in a relatively short yeah. period of time. Did you? Um, not really, not really. Just, oh, I'm a little, I suppose, I don't even know if pragmatic's the word. I just, I just have to get on with things and didn't take any time off. Like I had a few days off work, um, obviously, because I organised the funeral and I need, you know, but not too long. I felt better when I was doing. So I just went back to work and my boss was great. He said if you need to just walk out of the office because you need to just walk out of the office, just go. Don't tell anyone, just go. Just come back when you're ready or don't come back. He was he was amazing. He was Everyone at work was really, was really, really good. After she died, though, I like I was still really busy, but I I had a lot of time, so I just I started to walk. I started to do some things just for myself because I could, and I really like walking. It's it's a fun thing to do on your own, and just yeah, my kids are my everything, and to be able to be a hundred percent their mum again instead of bits and pieces. Um, they were great through everything. They had to step up. I, I struggled with that part of it because I've always been everything. Like they are my world and, um, you know, if, if they want to do something or go somewhere, I'm going to make that happen because that's what makes them happy. Um, and I, I just couldn't do it because I wasn't here. I was with mum or I just didn't have anything left. Um, but they were they were really amazing. They became self-sufficient, which I don't like now because I want to be their mum and I want to do it all. 
but they got it as well. Yeah. So after all was said and done, to be able to reconnect with them was really, really special for me. And I was really proud of them through the whole process. They didn't put any extra pressure on me. They just accepted that, you know, if they really wanted to get somewhere and it was during one of the times where I just couldn't, they just organised it themselves and just told me what was going on and I was okay with that. Yeah. So, yeah, to me is like going on a holiday, you know. Like I didn't need to do that. I just needed to be with them (laughs) and my husband. Oh, well, yeah. thanks so much for sharing your story. Thank you That's so much okay. for taking the time. And, and we'll post some, um, some resources on the show notes. Thanks so much. Okay. You've been listening to That Shit Show. If you like what you've heard, head to the Facebook page or the website for more information. It's thatshitshowpodcast.com. You'll find show notes and more episodes to download. Thanks so much for joining me.